Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about the wild world of the Academy. Each episode, we talk about trying to make it work and share self-care techniques to make every day a little bit more survivable. We are your didactic trio, and I am Rachel, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow. I'm Kristen, and I just defended my proposal. Woo! That's exciting. That's amazing, and it definitely diminishes my introduction. I'm Zach. I am just an adjunct. That's my whole goal in life is but to diminish employed. your intro. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we need to elevate your accomplishments. Thank that's, you. That's what I Always. That's what I, I always feel that way. Good yeah. accomplishments. Love it. Yeah. And speaking of elevating things, uh, someday we hope to have advertisers, but until then... We come up with fake sponsors. And so uh, today's show is brought to you by cleaning. It's everyone's favorite. Four out of every five academics agree that they would rather clean the toilet than grade those last five papers. If only there were more toilets to clean, there would be more happy academics. Why write? Why prep for teaching? Why adjust your model when you could be folding laundry or scrubbing countertops? Try the academics' favorite hobby today. Try cleaning. That is my number one tool for not getting work done. See, I'm like the like the one in five that does not endorse cleaning as as uh, a favorite hobby, but I guess I'm just weird. I'm really I'm really interested in seeing a citation there, Zachary. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I didn't write the advertisement. <laughs> I love to procrastinate. I'm a uh, procrastinator. So if you like what you hear and want others to hear it too, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews help immensely by showing others that this show is worth listening to while you're cleaning the house or <laughs> doing whatever Zach does when he's not cleaning the house. And if you made it this far, we hope you enjoy our podcast. So this episode actually originated out of our first fan mail. Fan mail! Fan mail! <laughs> Shout out to Sam. Okay, so Sam wrote in and asked um, the question... And, and this is a quote from the email. Mostly mine are regarding strategies to make up for what I feel is an inadequate background to pursue independent research. I'm formulating a study now, but I have no clue what I, if I'm doing this right. My statistics courses were what feels like a lifetime ago, and I would love to see a podcast with some strategies or wisdom and making up for known areas of weakness in academic, academics, if I could say the word right. So it kind of sounds like this person has had a gap in their academic career and is now returning back to the academy after mm -hmm. a long, you know, a short little break or a couple years. And so wants strategies because they feel like they need to catch up and have a gap. Does anybody have any experience with that? I only had a, a one-year gap between undergrad and grad school, but I can say I relate to this idea of not necessarily feeling you have, like, adequate background or um, feeling like doing it right. Like, even though I have taken, you know, I've been, I've been, I went straight from my master's to my PhD with no gap, um, and I only had a year between my undergrad and grad school, and I still felt like, even in the dissertation process and in the data collection and analysis that I was like inadequate, you know, that I didn't mm -hmm. have what I needed to do that I wasn't doing it right. And so I think it's something we can definitely all relate to. Yeah. I mean, I definitely sympathize with, uh, with Sam's experience, not just the, uh, length of time. Cause I took a year off between undergrad and master's and then uh, two years off between my master's and my PhD. And so there is some sort of knowledge attrition that happens, uh, in, in that time. But also, you know, I did a master's in one discipline and then went to my PhD in another discipline and they're related, but they are different fields. And so my theory courses for my master's, there was almost zero carryover into, you know, theory courses for my PhD. So I came in essentially a blank slate, whereas many of my colleagues had, came, had come in with master's degrees in that discipline and were half-written slates already. Mm. So I took a year off between my undergrad and my master's program, and there was about three and a half or so years off between my master's and PhD program. So mm. I can relate. Um I'm not really sure that it was necessarily a deficit. I feel like it was at the time, 
But I also think that it made me view what the program was and my place in it and how to navigate the program differently than maybe somebody who would have went through mm-hmm. because I did have some uh, experience out in the field and working. So I really saw, I feel like I chose opportunities differently and I've um, navigated the program differently than someone else, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Kristen, would you would you say that having um, gone to the masters and then got to, gone to teach for a long time, not a long time, a yeah. few years in in between, do you would you say that that actually was a benefit or like how do you how do you build a ledger between like what deficits you think you have and what like being out and practicing sociology um, you know gave you in the interim? Yeah, totally. So. I look at my peers now and teaching is something in our program that people get the opportunity to do in like the second or third year. And so that usually um, really sidelines people, gives them a lot of anxiety. They spend a ton of time prepping and they kind of get lost in it. And I feel like they often um, like it just takes up all their time. And so having taught before, it wasn't as big of a stressor for me. Like I already had a lot of things prepped. I already had a lot of activities. I already knew um, kind of how to prep a course. So that really helped when I was asked to teach a course. And I see it helping in other ways. Um, I also, having time out there, kind of saw kind of what the job market was like what sort of areas were kind of hitting in our field. And I also had enough time that I wasn't tired. There is something to be said. I mean, I'm obviously tired now. (laughs) But I was like at a point where it's like, oh, I do miss research. And I am interested in in doing that. And I think sometimes when you go all the way through, you don't really get that um, feeling. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Well, I I mean... Like I said, I only took a year off, but I still remember coming back. And even after that hiatus of, of, you know, being away from an academic setting and working full time um, in a professional setting, I I still felt like it was a lot to get back into the swing of things. Oh, completely. And um, it's funny, I was talking with a colleague today, um, and this colleague is going back for a master's while being away from you know, an education setting, working in an education setting, but not being a student herself for years. Um, And the struggles of like to, to get back into it and this feeling of inadequacy. And I looked at that, I'm like, you, you clearly, you, not only do you have the educational background that these other students, your fellow peer students have, you also are bringing in a really interesting perspective Mm -hmm. of being someone who has been in the workforce for a really long time. And so I was really saying, like, you need to really try your darndest to replace that feeling of inadequacy with a feeling of that you are bringing so many wonderful skills and, and, and insights to the table and that you actually have a really interesting skill set to offer. And that's, that puts you ahead, in my opinion, in some ways, right? Totally. But then there's this feeling of... Um, I know, like, I mean, I would even feel like this as a graduate student. Someone would bring up a term or someone would bring up a method or someone would bring up um, a theorist that I didn't know. And it felt like everyone else in the room knew. Liars. Liars. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we all do the the nod of like, yes, 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 I know who this person is. Like, of course, of course, I'm smart enough to be here just like you as we're crying inside because we don't know this person. And then I would quickly jot it in the margin of my book or notebook or something and look it up later. But that, that feeling that we we have to we can't show our weaknesses we can't ask questions like i i try to encourage my students to ask questions i try to encourage them to not feel like there is really no wrong question to ask when it comes to just getting the general knowledge about the course within myself as a graduate student i wouldn't ask those questions right i would just let them Mm -hmm. i would let them sit and i would then regret it later 
because I would feel, I would feel stupid in the moment and then I wouldn't necessarily, and then I would wish later that I had asked the questions. Yeah. There's a lot of posturing that goes around. Mm -hmm. People just, yeah, I'll, I'll say that uh, the person who talks the most and has the most to say is not always the smartest. And I say that as the person who probably <laughs> talked the most in most of my classes. Uh, so I probably made other people feel that way, but I was just sort of, you know, filibustering to make myself not feel insecure in that way as well. And and what you said really, I mean, that, that resonates a, a lot with me is like I'm constantly – you know, hearing people, other people in my field, in adjacent fields, um, you know, reference, you know, so-and-so and this other person and the study that, like, how did I not know that? Am I so far, like, I got my PhD uh, six months ago and, like, am I already out of touch with the field? No. There's so much out there to know that, you know, grad school doesn't, you know, they'll, you'll pick up the skills that you need to succeed in the niche that you fill uh, once you're done. But, you know, graduate school is an exercise in finding the right skills that you'll, that you'll, that'll stick with you in picking up and understanding some very broad ideas that everybody will talk about. Um, But really it's more of an exercise in like finding the skills that you need to succeed in your niche. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, in those classroom settings and then when you are working on your own kind of research project, like our, our, um, our uh, listener Sam is doing, there's that reality that even classwork and the experience that you have as a student, that's not going to teach you everything you need to know in order to be a successful researcher, right? The onus is also on you to do the reading and the research. And I think that's actually should like be an empowering thing of like, you have this ability, like as a you've, you've gone through graduate school, it gives you the skills in order to, you know, understand the different readings and you know, making sure that you're kind of able to parse that apart and put it together to a project that you're really interested in. Like we, we have those skills. We have to use those skills in order to, to fill in some of those, what we call inadequacies, right? You know, we don't just learn everything in the classroom and your peers don't also don't know everything. I wonder if this is like the dentist thing. So last time I went to the dentist, I like rushed in and I was like, oh my God, I just need a couple minutes to brush my teeth. And the dentist was like, if you come in here and are worried about brushing your teeth the second before I see you, you're like not who I'm worried about. (laughs) Right? So I feel like it's a good, healthy sign that you're apprehensive and are thinking so much about it before you started. I think if you go in thinking... Oh, I've got this. I remember everything. I feel like mm-hmm. those people are in for a much bigger shock than mm-hmm. if you come in like worried about it, if that makes sense. No, I totally agree. I feel like if you are willing to kind of learn, you will. If you come in assuming that you already have all of the knowledge, then you're going to miss out on a lot. So I think actually going into it with with a feeling that you don't know enough is probably better for you in the long run. Yeah, and you're uh, already acclimated to the stress and anxiety. (laughs) It won't come as a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think the bigger adjustments for me was not the... I I felt the exact same way Sam did. So I thought I would come in and everybody else would know everything and I'd freak out about it. But the bigger things, the bigger shocks to me were not, was not that. The bigger shock to me was... I was about five or six years older than my cohort. Hmm. I had a decent paying job in St. Louis that I left to go to grad school. And I, Zach, how much did we make our first year? Like 10,500 bucks. It was some, it was, uh, it was like 13, I think. Okay. (laughs) $13,000. I think I was making like $40,000 when I came here. Mm -hmm. So like the adjustment of lifestyle and budget Mm -hmm. and time management skills are different and expectations. Those other external things were bigger hurdles than me not knowing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think um, so I 
fortunately have never had, you know, sort of a nine to five job where uh, all my structure was set for me. But I have known plenty of people to come to graduate school and like the adjustment is, you know, yeah, you're back in school and you got to kind of dust off that part of your brain that sits and listens and, and uh, you know, engages in intellectual debates. But, you know, I'd say, you know, one of the bigger challenges that I've seen a lot of people face is sort of the increase in unstructured time and having to set your own schedule. Totally. Um, and, and, like, with that, again, comes anxiety of, like, am I reading enough? You know, I, I feel like I've, I can't measure the amount of time I've worked today because it's only, you know, it's not a nine to five. It's, it's not clear that I've, I've, you know, uh, fulfilled my quota of academia. It doesn't uh, end. So, no such yeah. thing. Your academia quota. <laughs> we never filled those. What's that even mean? <laughs> but, um, you know, who did take time off between um undergrad and then um professional school justin do you want me to go talk to him he might have something to say <gasps> yeah let's bring him the in the fiance yeah. the fiance yeah, let's go talk to justin <laughs> <laughs> okay so we paused recording so I could go, quote unquote, get my fiance. But really what happened is I yelled up the stairs. It's about the top of her lungs. At the top. No. That's about what it was. Yeah. And um, Zach was sad we didn't actually record that. Okay. But anyway, so we are going to ask a couple questions of my dear fiance, Justin, and talk to him about his experience taking up a little bit of time between undergraduate and law school in order to um, work a job. So, Justin, what was that like for you? Uh, it sucked. It, I got laid off in the beginning of 2009 from a pretty nice job after undergrad. And I had actually been thinking about going to law school before that. However, once I got laid off, it was the beginning of what's been now called the Great Recession. And knowing that it was going to be pretty terrible uh, for a while, I decided not to enter law school at that time or try to get in at that time uh, because we would still be in the recession by the time I graduated and the job market would be terrible. So I uh, did several jobs during the time after my undergraduate degree and my law school time. And then what was it like going back into like a school setting after working various jobs? It was easy. Uh, <laughs> you know. Easy? Going easy, yes. Having worked uh, jobs and have a regular schedule, waking up early, having essentially good habits of work made law school pretty easy. Uh you know, going into it, I had a lot of advice. I had a lot of time to think about it. So I had a lot of good ideas going in, what I was looking at. And, you know, the most common advice I heard, which was treat it like a job. You know, wake up every morning, don't sleep in, work till about five, whether it be being in class, studying, um, taking notes, etc., uh, but work and work a full day every day for the whole week, which made it pretty easy. So you essentially used the skills that the workforce had given you to your advantage. I wouldn't necessarily call them skills. I would I would more so call them work habits. And, okay. Well, that's uh, that's good. That's uh, a little. It's sort of the co the contrary side of what we were talking about before you showed up. Was I was mentioning how. Um, sort of the unstructuredness of, uh, you know, a graduate or a professional degree can be daunting that, you know, because there isn't a preset structure and you have to do it yourself, that that can throw some people. But it seemed like it worked out uh, that you had parlayed those habits uh, into into your professional degree pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't gone from uh, school for very long. Uh, it was about five years. So I was still young enough to be able to relate to classmates and hang out and make quick friends, whereas a lot of what are, you know, you call non-traditional students, uh, 
you know, they've got families, they've got homes, they have, uh, I think, a little bit of a harder time connecting with their peers in law school since I would say the majority of people in law school go straight out of undergrad. Mm. How do you think your experience would have been different if you had gone straight through? Uh, I would have been graduating in 2010 from law school, so the uh, employment situation following would have been much more uh, difficult uh, since that would have been right in the smack dab of the recession. Uh, Law is one of those fields that has uh, pretty close ties to the general economy, um, similar to, you know, transportation, uh, housing, those kinds of things. Uh, Since it's a corollary with those markets and industries, you know, if you have more activity going on, you need more lawyers, yada, yada. Um, But as far as handling the Uh, work of school itself of the law school program uh, directly out of undergrad I think it would have been a little bit more difficult um, because I had pretty poor habits in undergraduate Um, I I slept a lot and and didn't attend many classes and didn't have good relationships with professors and it was more uh, social activity for me an undergraduate so having with a having a career in mind and having an actual goal in mind it, with a professional degree uh, it's a little bit more targeted and a little bit more uh, focused on what the end game is which helps the day-to-day do you think like mentors and professors saw you differently Saw me differently since I'd been in the workforce. Yeah, like than other students. No, I, I don't necessarily think that because, like I said, I was pretty close in age and appearance. Um, it was hard to distinguish one from the other. And there's not, a, glow. There, there's not a lot of opportunity <laughs> to like incorporate things from your life or experiences into your work. Um, so as far as like dynamics and group projects that you may have or approaches to things uh, law is a little bit of a different beast than you might find in some of the other uh, graduate and professional programs because the, the whole purpose of law school is to teach you how to think like a lawyer and what you learned before is is kind of erased um, and overwritten so as far as being treated differently by professors I didn't necessarily feel that um, had I been a more uh, senior individual, uh, a, a regular non-traditional student, then then perhaps. Um, but as as it was, I didn't feel that. Is there anything um, in the time between undergrad and going back to law school that you think helped give you a better um, a vision of what? getting a law degree would do do for you and and what sort of career you wanted at the end of law school because I know a lot of graduate students go to graduate school without necessarily knowing what they're going to come out on the other end doing do you think that having that time off helped you with that Uh, as far as in the the general workforce I would say um, yes uh, to a point I had actually thought about going to law school before even uh, graduating from undergraduate so the idea had always been in my head as, as something I might want to do as far as um, taking the experiences from working between undergraduate and uh, law school the fact that law school is a very special it's like medicine I mean you go to medical school to become a doctor and you go to law school to become a lawyer Um, now there are a lot of people that'll say that, you know, a law degree is actually pretty diverse and you can do whatever you want with it. A lot of, uh, CEOs and higher ranked, um, corporate officers have law degrees and that's true. It it is a good degree as far as a broad education, but it it really is a new way of thinking and a a job training program for three years. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different than a broad uh, 
I would call it broader, like say master's of business is a degree that is less specialized and it would be harder to know essentially what career you would want to make out of that until you get to the workforce. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I think a lot of the anxiety that um, are the person who wrote in and inspired this episode probably like, you know, I, I think the field that she's in, it probably is a good degree of uncertainty of how that translates into the workforce. And, and I know that was the case for me and, and, and probably for a lot of other people that aren't in sort of that same professional track that you are. So, I, But the reality is, I mean, in my opinion, that graduate school and professional school in general gives you unbelievable transferable skills that can be used so broadly. Sometimes it's so broad that we have a hard time finding that spot within it. But, I mean, it makes you unbelievably qualified as a member of the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just like the it's, – it's, you know, the skills and the skills in the form of uh, uh, sort of credibility and, and social capital, capital that come with the, having those three letters behind your name. Mm-hmm. Or the two letters or in front two. of your name, however you want to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for talking to us, honey. No problem. Any other questions? Nope. Thanks. Thanks for no. coming down and talking to us. I wanted to, to us, come man. up with something witty and snappy there, but I. Yeah, I mean, I, I played the a, fifth. I had. If you wanted to know what kind <laughs> of uh, jobs, just real quick, I had uh, jobs in retail. I had a job as like an office manager for a, a small metal shop, uh, like a manufacturer, um, and I did door-to-door sales for uh, about a year. Um, which actually, if you're looking for transferable skills. That is the best job I've ever had as far as transferable skills are concerned. If you can sell something door to door and make money off of it, commissioned wise, uh, you can sell anyone anything later. <laughs> including a jury. In- including a jury, including <laughs> you know, your boss on an idea, including a an advisor on a, a methodology. It's uh it's that's hmm. a transferable skill that uh, lasts forever. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. So I'm curious after we talked to Justin, what did you guys do in between um, when like in your quote unquote gaps? Can I go first? Because yours is yours is more interesting. I want to save the more interesting for a second. After you, Zachary. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I'll go first and then get the more interesting ones later. Uh, I. I was just, I mean, I just was an adjunct. Um, I, well, I saw between my bachelor's and master's, I was a substitute teacher at the local public schools. Um, and then in between my, uh, my master's and PhD, I worked for three different schools as an adjunct and I did a little bit of retail for a shop in, in downtown Columbia. So not, not too much interesting, just kind of reinforced the idea that I want to cool. teach college. So I better get a higher degree to get more job security. And here I am back adjuncting at it again. <laughs> I did a few jobs. So I also adjunct. I worked in mental health, um, including for a brief stint working. Oh, I thought you were going to sneeze. I was working. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for a suicide hotline for a while. So I have crisis training. Which, when Justin was mentioning uh, door-to-door sales, I feel like crisis training comes in all the time. Let's see, what else did I do? Oh, I was a career counselor for college. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff I did. Well, I um, worked at a theater in costuming. Cool. And I um, kind of ran the costuming section of the theater and had some interns, so I got some leadership skills. And um, I did, I saw a lot of people, a lot of people, if you know what I mean. Like their butts? And, yeah, I've seen some oh butts. Oh, boy. It's fine. No, it, I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional, I'm a professional guy. Okay, it's so just, they're, they're hindquarters? just bodies. Um, no, I did a lot of dressing of people. I worked with costume designers in that time. Um I worked with a couple of quote unquote celebrities, which was really fun. You did? Yeah, I'll tell you Ooh, about it off the okay. podcast though. Because <laughs> not gonna drop any names. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, no. Zach. Oh, okay. God. Um no, but I had a really great time doing that and but it solidified the 
the the idea for me that I, I loved I love theater I love doing theater I love working as a theater artist but where I really wanted to be was in higher education but I had I had a great time um, working uh, in the area of the theater that I was working in I was a I still do costuming sometimes and I can sew a mean piece of I don't know I can sew a mean skirt skirts are pretty easy I can sew a mean skirt but uh, that's not and but for me working in theater is actually was really transferable to then getting a PhD in the field so it it worked well for me I had great experience worked with some good people yeah I feel like uh, my jobs that I did in between were very transferable because they were all teaching related mm-hmm. and uh, just prepared me for kept me kept me fresh for being in a classroom setting um, yeah but they stay I was in education the whole time but really I, I think that those kind of like p- people refer to like well I took a gap year that was such a bad thing I don't I don't always understand why people refer to it as a bad thing because you're always going to learn continue to learn something I thought you're supposed to have like a lot of fun learning. on a gap year well mine was a lot of work because I also worked as a server and um so that was actually that was probably that was a ton of transferable skills trying to work for those. Camps. I know, but I feel like when people vote gap years, it's always cool. Yeah, I know. Is but that like rich people though? Maybe I don't know. Okay, but I I see that an opportunity to do something. I mean, you're still learning, you're still having an experience, and therefore you're still growing as a human being. And every experience is going to go in with you into the next stage of your life. So that's just my two cents. So most of the things I found online, and I'm sure Sam has looked, and perhaps that's why she wrote to us, um, because you really don't see anything that really addresses coming back. It just gives you more or less info on how to be successful in grad school. So let me be the first to tell Sam, I have faith in you. You're going to do fine. You're probably just stressing out for no reason. But there are a few books that I personally suggest. I read a book. It's got kind of a dumb name. Sorry, person who wrote this. But it's a book called Grad School Rules. And the the way they spell school is S-K-O-O-L. And then rules is R-U-L-Z. If you Google it, it's like a $4 PDF that you can download. And it got, go, takes you everywhere from... You know, picking a school and admissions all the way to finding a job. And it kind of helps you lay out a graduate school like experience. Um, when you get to the dissertation writing, I've really enjoyed the book Destination Dissertation. I recommend that once you're kind of like post comps or once you're towards planning a proposal or writing. And then also the professor is in has a ton of advice on how to be strategic with your graduate program and how to plan and uh, and really have a future career in mind. Mm. Some of the other internet advice I found is that pretty general. People struggle with budgeting both time and money. That's really something you have to rethink when you come back. The importance of social connections both in your programs True. and with families. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. And choosing opportunities within grad school wisely. So, again, being strategic. The importance of finding a mentor. And I thought of that immediately as I was reading Sam's email. Is that find yourself a really good mentor. So when you have some of these anxieties, they can help ease this or help have an honest conversation of maybe where your deficits truly are and how you can overcome some of those. Mm-hmm. And when you say mentor, that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, your advisor no. who's steering your thesis or your dissertation project. They like I've known I've known mentors who are that person, mm-hmm. but you're mean you mean like life mentor. Mentors right? come in many different forms and different parts of your lives, and so I mean I have probably five to ten people that I refer to as mentors. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I know <laughs> to rethink my life choices. <laughs> what i like you know, i would men- i would say i have like three maybe not five to, no probably like five to ten yeah sam just used one of rachel's mentors yeah i've got a i've got an abundance <laughs> sam just used one of my mentors i've got extra <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm so grateful for my mentors but it is nice to have someone you can have an honest conversation 
you know, to help ease some of these fears. Yeah. If you have them. I, I'm looking at this, though, and you are forgetting the last one you put on this list, Kristen, and I really want you to read this one out loud. This is one I added. I didn't really find this on the internet, but I just want you to know that everyone is completely full of shit. Full of shit. Totally full of shit. <laughs> all the time. We all are. Yeah. It's okay. I just feel like so many, you just really, academics is really a fake your way until you make it situation. And just know that you're fine. You're so capable. That's the number one transferable skill transferring in, transferring out is having a good bullshit meter, right? Totally. No, but the reality is that like when you're, you've been accepted to graduate school. You have you are you have gotten a job as an academic somewhere in some field, some university. You are qualified. You are capable. You are able to get shit done. So I know I I feel so hypocritical saying this. I'm like, stop second guessing yourself and just know your skills and you're you're totally capable to do these things because the reality is that you are. Mm-hmm. Um. And if you need to find the person who's going to tell you constantly that you are, find that person because they're going to be really excited to, to tell you how awesome you are. And then you're going to tell them how awesome they are. You're well, awesome, Kristen. Isn't it like, did you say I was awesome? Yeah, and awesome too. <laughs> isn't it like less than 1% of the population, 1% of the U.S. population has a PhD? It's like 1 point something percent. Okay, it's a small citation. margin. So it's yeah. like if you got in, you're already smart enough. Yeah. And grad school in general is like, if you've got in, you're already smart enough. You're already, you're already halfway there. But I am going to wrap up this section with our final um, sponsor break. So today's episode has brought to you, been brought to you by Updates. Did you just stop cleaning and force yourself to start working? Ding! Ding! What? I should update Microsoft Office because I might be at risk. And Adobe PDF? Now I have to update everything. Thanks, Program Updates, for letting us be up to date and allowing all of us a legitimate excuse to watch TV just that much longer. Yay, five more episodes of Gilmore Girls. Well, that brings us to our self-care segment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hanging out with friends. Weren't drinks involved? Yeah, usually, sometimes, sometimes, depending on who you are. Yeah, I think I was drinking kombucha. Yeah, we think we were. So we we hung out one night with some for some friends. Yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we just go to that and and see what the experience was? Sounds good, Zach. Everybody, uh, thanks for listening to this self-care session for our episode today. And today, you know, we're doing something pretty basic. We decided very common. very common. We are sitting on a rooftop patio, enjoying some alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks kombucha. and pizza, kombucha, beer, and we are just enjoying each other's company. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know. The pressures to or not to socialize as an academic, because there's always that pull to constantly be working and the guilt of there's always something to do. Um, And we have some friends here with us today. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm Casey. Probably a very alliterative friends group. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And Zach and Kristen are here, too. Yes, hello. So, yeah, I know that for me in my uh, grad program and even now as a postdoc, sometimes I I get so, I feel like exhausted by work that I don't want to go out even if I have plans. Um, But I have that feeling of whenever I actually do go out, I feel so fulfilled. Mm. But there's that struggle for me of actually sometimes following through or sometimes making the plans to begin with. Because you should be writing. Because I should be writing. My struggle, I be writing. my struggle as an extrovert is always wanting to go out rather than staying in and doing what I need to do. And so, you know, 
the balance the balance for me is learning when when to say enough is enough mm-hmm. and not overdoing it so that I'm not tired the next day and, and I can you know actually get up and be productive. Yeah. No, you called me an extrovert on the last episode and I like laugh because I don't think of myself as an extrovert. I really do not like coming out and like going to like parties and things. I like get fulfilled by like hanging out at like work and stuff, but I like to spend like long periods of time. At home, by myself. I feel like I'm an outgoing introvert. So you're like... When I'm here, I'm good. An but extroverted like, I, introvert. Yeah. I, really like, I really like to have a lot... Like, being in crowds drains me a lot. Like, it's yeah. not... You want to tell your story? Oh, yeah. So, actually, it's kind of funny because when I was younger, before grad school, I would have considered myself more of an extrovert. Like, I was all about... And I think grad school kind of made me more of an introvert. I don't know how that really happened. Oh, wow. Maybe because I... Those pressures or whatever it is to kind of, like, close in and, you know, be focused on those things. But when I was coming here to this event, I was, I was excited about being here. But when I arrived, I had this, like, moment of thinking, like, oh, man, maybe I should just go back home. Like... I, I kind of wanted to go turn around and go back in my car and go back home because it's like this safe space and everything's, you know, um, regular and scheduled and you just know what's going to happen. And when you come into a place with a lot of other people and you're like, I'm going to know some people, but I'm not going to know a lot of people. And that's going to feel weird. And am I comfortable with that? And, you know, then I start to think, again, that whole thing of like, well, if I don't really enjoy it, was it really worth losing the time? And so you just kind of go back and forth between that. But I came in the door and I was really happy I did because I got to see my friends and do the, do the podcast. I do that too and you know what's funny is I never do anything productive. Like mm-hmm. I, I, if I was at home right now I probably wouldn't be doing much of oh, anything no. besides like watching TV. Oh, I would no. totally be on but Netflix. I was, but mm-hmm. coming here it's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I should be doing my, I, if I was at home I could be doing my work and it's yeah, like, I'm not even be. doing it right now. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> How do you all feel? Yeah. Do you feel, uh, like going out is rejuvenating or draining? I don't know. I feel like I see Casey everywhere. Like yeah, literally I see on him the go. All the time. It's like mm-hmm. Z- if Zach's not there, then you're there. Like <laughs> one of you are required at every event. For me, it's necessary, uh-huh. so it's rejuvenating. Um, you know, it's it's all about balance. You know, so I try to be intentional about about spending time not doing work, about spending time with friends or doing things that you enjoy. I like, you know, I like to be active so I ensure that I do things that are active on a regular basis I enjoy just doing nothing at times Mm -hmm. you know I don't get to do that as much as I'd like to but there are times when I'm like you know what I'm just not going to work today or I'm not going to work this afternoon Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and enjoy my couch and watch TV for three hours you know Mm -hmm. a pleasure that a lot of people you know in our positions don't really get or feel guilty when they do mm-hmm. no I've yeah. been trying to give myself permission like if I work I've like if I work all morning and I want to take an hour like to literally not think about mm-hmm. what I'm doing mm-hmm. so like when I come to an event like this just like this is your free time you know like yeah. really kind of do that like self self chatting so that I'm not just like yeah, I'm so anxious. The, the, I know the listeners can cannot see, that, see her do but the freak out. Kristen yeah. kind of freaked out, cringed a little. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys think that summertime sort of amplifies some of this? Because a friend of mine in a, in a grad program said to me earlier today um, that she was realizing that summer as a grad student is very lonely and can be very difficult. Can I join you? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if we if we get trapped in that a little bit more over the summer or less or yeah how that works i don't know well there's definitely more ample opportunity to socialize in the summer i think just the deadlines seem further away in the summer. And true, unless you have yeah. a summer job or summer research deadline of mm-hmm. some sort yeah that's actually been an adjustment for me because i started my postdoc in the summer and I've never worked, well, I have worked through the summer before because I was full-time employed before I came back to grad school, but I haven't academic worked full-time in the summer, so that's been different because I sometimes feel like, oh, I don't have to work, and then I'm like, oh, crap, I've got this deadline that's going to make me have to work outside of work hours, but it's still, it's still not as stressful as the dissertation. But I still feel like I can't relax at home. I always have to be doing something, and I think I've said this before to you guys, like, whether it's answering emails or knitting and crocheting or cleaning or something I have to be doing something with my hands because I get anxious if I'm not doing 
isn't it funny how summertime is like you get this like sort of society thing where it's like summer and freedom and you should relax and there's beaches and like all these things but then on the academic side you know all I ever hear from my department at least is like don't waste your summer yeah don't waste your summer you like, have so much time summer. this summer to and research I think because like you're trying to balance this like people are like you should relax a little and then you're like but I can't because they want you know like I don't know I feel mm-hmm. like I'm constantly I'm just, doing that I'm just gonna say that this this clip's probably not gonna air during the summer <laughs> Oh, but that that's still it's still good to, to talk yeah. about that because yeah. um, it's probably not going to air for like a month or two no, that's that's yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I have the opposite problem mm. I love to go out and I love to spend time with people the problem is is that I tend to make plans for every single day of the week uh, and then I get to the end of the week and I feel exhausted, and I look at my calendar, and I realize it's because I've been out of the house from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day for the past five days. And I love spending time with people, but I feel like for me, I just need to learn that going out every single day or like doing activities with people every single day is not super sustainable and I also feel bad because I get offers to do things on like the same days at the same time and then so sometimes I try to like be like, oh, I can spend time at both. Like, I can do both and try to, like, section up my time. Mm-hmm. When in reality, I should really just say no to someone and just pick one thing mm-hmm. instead of trying to appease everyone by showing up for a little bit to both things. So this just, the start to say no to something isn't yeah. just for, you yeah. know, work. Uh, it's yeah. also balancing yeah. that social life. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was, you described better than I could the problem that I have which is like you know Sunday rolls around my calendar's open for the week and by Friday by Friday looking back yeah. I did something every night mm-hmm. and it often involves like you know either spending money on food or having a few drinks yep. and so that even makes me more tired the next day and yeah I think I feel energized in the moment it actually energizes me at the end of a long day but then I, I start with a more of a deficit of energy the next day. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After the end of a long day, sometimes I like to go out, but sometimes I just like to go cuddle with my cat and watch Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Also good. For the 17th time. That's more times than I've watched. I've seen it. I think I've seen it through three times. And maybe there's just, like, one more thing I could quickly bring up that, you know, I'm hopefully there are other grad student parents that are listening, but mm. I know for me as a grad student parent, like, You know, when the summertime comes especially or any time like that where there's a little bit of a break, I feel, I even feel that pressure more in terms of like my kids are like out of school and they want to do things, they want to go places, want to, you know, and I have to say, I have got to get five or six solid hours of work time in and that means we can't run and go and do as much. And then that guilt comes on top of it. It's like, if I'm working, I feel guilty because I'm not doing more with them because it's summertime. And if I'm not working and I'm out playing with them, I'm like, I can't believe I'm not working right now. So it, that kind of also is part of it with the different seasons and the different times and, you know, trying to balance that as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of hard. Anyone else? Have, we're over 10 minutes, but if anybody else wants to have, share any thoughts. Casey, what um, do you think? Anything else? I think I think you guys pretty much summed it up. There's a, cool. just as a range a range of emotions that you can go through when mm-hmm. dealing with going out your you know your personal non work life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you know, like I said, for me, I, I try to be intentional about it, but you know, other times when it can be too much, you know, where you don't want to say no when a friend asks you, hey, join me here, let's go out and do this thing. You know, um, and sometimes when you just rather be at home, but no, you know, that you should probably you know go and be around people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. I don't know about you all, but I'm totally an extrovert. So hanging out with friends is one of my core self-care uh, techniques. 
And how, how often do you do it? We all know you're just so popular. I know. I'm just so, well, so many people want to hang out with me. As kind of an introvert, my favorite thing was when we plugged in the mic and we could hear those other people's conversation across the deck. <laughs> yeah, Kristen just started laughing to herself. I thought it was really cool how loud the bugs were. I'm not loud gonna lie. bugs. They were really loud bugs. But no, it's good. I mean, I think lately I've been feeling like I just need more human interaction because, you know, with the wedding coming up and, you know, just doing other things and starting research and writing and stuff, it's just, I feel like I haven't been seeing people outside of, you know, the workplace. And I think it's good sometimes just like reconnect and Mm -hmm. get grounded by the people around you and not grounded as in like, you're grounded, but grounded as in like, Back down to earth. <laughs> Kristen's judging me. <laughs> no, I'm not. But yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it's always just like, I don't know. I, I enjoy it. I am i don't think I'm as social as Zach is. Definitely because I also not. need my, my kind of alone space sometimes. Same. And I do enjoy sometimes after work, instead of going to happy hour, I like coming home and cleaning my kitchen. I just really like enjoy cleaning and listening to podcasts including surviving academia we're on all the major um. podcasting <laughs> sites just like and subscribe you listen to this one sometimes oh it makes me nervous i listen just because i like to like see how we sound i sound the best right sure always <laughs> always well okay. i think speaking of listening <laughs> yeah good yeah, segue i think that's a good time to uh to wrap it up um for all that are listening and for future us that are listening so thank you all including <laughs> ourselves feel free to tweet at us uh facebook us comment on our webpage, survivingacademiapodcast.com or send us an email with suggestions about show topics or feedback on uh, what we're doing. And obviously we're listening because this whole episode uh, was based on listener feedback. So if you have something you want to hear, uh, please let us know and we'll, we'll do it. And until next time, keep on surviving. And if this is, <laughs> and if future Kristen's listening, you better be coding. Yeah, future Rachel's listening. Seriously, do your laundry. <laughs> I don't know what I would tell Zach. Future clean Zach. something. Uh, future Zach should be uh, doing his freelancing work. Yeah, you future Zach. You better get your butt to work. Yeah, future Zach, you should have a more disciplined routine and not be listening to all these podcasts. Money, 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 (laughs) money. What does that even mean in an academic world? Student loans, student loans, student loans. (laughs) Paying loans, paying loans, paying loans. (laughs) This is an academic world, and I'm an academic girl. Academic (laughs) girl. Girl. (laughs) Is, are we done? Are we? Are we stopping it? I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>